Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship. And before we just skip over that statement, those of you who were not here for our morning devotion this morning missed a very good instruction about worship. Worship is costly. Worship takes our time. Worship takes our full attention. The way I understand the word, it's only when I seek God with all of my heart and my whole heart will I find him. It's either all or nothing. The lesson this morning was taken from Abraham offering his son Isaac going to Mount Moriah to offer him. I thought it was interesting after that experience, Abraham penned these lines, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Every time we come to worship, we receive way more than we give, and it's because the Lord did it. Welcome to Harvest Meeting. This is the weekend that we have set apart for our Harvest Meeting here at Cornerstone. Those of you who were not here last night, we heard about the precious seed, the power of the seed, the the wheat fields white, For harvest, we heard about the joy of harvest. The miracle of harvest, the miracle of increase, and especially the God of harvest and the God of the increase. You know, as I grow older, there's a condition in life that really concerns me. And I find in scripture that it concerns the Lord too. And this is the condition. I can't remember like I used to could. I forget. And the Bible says that this affects all ages. I think about James, he writes to us and he said, uh, if I just hear the word and dismiss it, he said, I'm, I'm just like myself looking in the mirror, and then in a little bit I forget what I look like. He said it'd be better for us to be doers of what we hear rather than just forgetful hearers. And then Peter reminds us that if we don't continually be diligent, In our walk in following the Lord Jesus Christ, we have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. So this morning, we're not here just to worship, but we're here to have our minds stirred up to remember our responsibility that the Lord has given us. I want to just think of a, uh, just a couple of verses here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy seems to be a book that Moses 
gave to the people to rehearse and remind them of the ways and the wonder of God toward them. And he rehearsed that they'd come through the wilderness for 40 years. They'd been given manna from heaven to eat. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. They'd been totally provided for. And he said, the main thing you've been provided for through all of those 40 years is not the bread of manna from heaven, but the word of God to fill and feed your souls. And he said, I don't want you to forget that. So he, he penned here in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all of thy might. And you are to teach this to your posterity over and over and over again. He said, you're going to come into a land now that has good and great cities in it that you didn't build. He said, you're going to come into houses full of good things that you didn't fill them with, wells that you didn't dig, olive trees that you didn't plant. And whenever you partake of all of these things, he said, you beware that you do not forget me, the Lord, which has brought you out of the land of bondage into this bountiful land. Don't forget. And then he said, this land is also going to be a land of springs, fountains, valleys, hills, wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, a land without scarceness that's going to provide plenty for you all of your life. And again, he says, beware that you don't become comfortable and forget how you've been blessed and where the source of your blessing come from. He said, in fact, he said, uh, you might get comfortable enough that you just completely forget me and think that by the power of your own hand and your own might, all of these things have come to you. You know, uh, I believe last evening, if I remember right, Brother Dennis related to us that the country of America is becoming less spiritual and fewer Christians all the time. And that's what made me think of this chapter in Deuteronomy. Um, the last couple verses in this eighth chapter says that if you do forget the Lord your God, do not worship him, walk after your own way, he said, you will surely perish. And he said, as the nations that the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. 
So back to Peter, he says to, he said, a long time after I'm gone, he said, I saw all of these things with my own eye of the Lord being crucified and rising again. He said, I saw salvation right before my eyes. But he said, a long time after I'm gone, he said, I want your minds your souls, your hearts, your beings to be stirred up and that you don't forget the great salvation that I have given to you. You know, we are reaping a harvest that is a gift from God through Jesus Christ to us that we didn't sow. It's a bountiful field of salvation given to us by his grace. And we dare not forget that. We're going to go to prayer here in a moment. And Brother David, I'm going to call on you to lead us in prayer. We have with us today Brother Dennis St. John's and his wife Donna from the Pleasant Ridge Congregation. And one of my prayer requests today is that we hold Dennis up before the Lord as he delivers a message to us, and I'm going to take prayer requests from anyone else here in the congregation or praise reports. Sister Rose's friend in Pennsylvania had a baby that was premature that needs our prayers. Let's remember that. Anyone else? Yes, Brother Randy. Yes, that's, that's a very good request that the Lord would bless our elderly people that cannot be here. I talked to to Brother Jerry on the, on the phone just a couple nights ago, and he uh, his voice still sounds strong, but he said he's getting weaker all the time. He can barely get up and down out of bed now. And uh, he likes to talk scripture. Let's keep all of our elderly people in mind that they would uh, continue to have the faith that shines out to the, the people that they meet. Anyone else? Brother David, you lead us. Our Lord God in heaven, we celebrate to be able to come before you at any time, at any day, at any moment. But we know that you are the And of what you have promised, you, you have promised to also finish. And we know that the things of this world, as warped it as it has become, that you have a plan to finish this and to put, make all things right and to make all things just and to make all things come to a finish. 
because you have plans that are so far beyond this world that go on into eternity. Oh, Father, help us. Each day we might remember that this world will come to an end and that you have things planned for us in eternity that we cannot even begin to imagine. Oh, Father, Lord God, we praise you, we thank you for that reality. We thank you that your presence of your Holy Spirit is with us daily and that we can count on you and that in, our, in ourselves we know that we have don't have the ability to do what you want us to do, but because of your spirit, we do. Father, help us to learn to walk by faith. We pray for our elderly individuals that listen in and, and watch these services and are not able to, to be with us today, that continue to pray for, for each one of them, that they will be, be faithful as they finish out their days. Father, that we all would, would recognize the need for that, that we not be succumbed or not be deluded or distracted in any anything in this world, but that we'd be people who are faithful unto you and faithful in our witness unto all of those around us. And Father, we want to raise up a brother Dennis today who comes in his, in his own weakness, but he comes bearing the open word of God. We just pray, Father, for the rich blessing in his spirit as he brings these thoughts that the Lord has prepared in him today, Father. But help us, each one, to be listeners in the spirit to recognize that there are things that are going to be said here in the next few moments that are meant for us and the Holy Spirit can, can open that word into us and to apply it into us and show us where we are weak and where we have sinned and where we need to be forgiven and where we need to seek the forgiveness of others. Father, help us to be people that are willing to be honest before you and to be and allow your spirit to show us how we need to change and how we need to be people of grace and people willing to go and to ask forgiveness and to, be, and to straighten things out in our relationships. Father, we recognize also that there is a great need for this little boy that's been born in what we call a premature way, but we know he's not premature, but he's right on time in your place and your kingdom. But Father, he needs your help. He needs your the hands of, of doctors and nurses and family and caring people to care for him and, and he needs time to develop him. Father, we just know that you understand entirely that he's right on time, that he's in your plans and that he has an eternal soul to save. So, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of these needs, but also just knowing that your love is, is upon us and that we come together together in worship today to worship you, to worship you because you are everything that we need. Oh, Father, it's in the name of Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit, that we pray. And let's all pray together unto our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. Number 301.
Again this morning, we say welcome. Mama. Last night, I thought I had about everybody kind of figured out. This morning, I'm lost. So uh, <laughs> a lot of faces, I'm not sure who you are and probably some I should know and uh, have forgotten, but uh, welcome. We've come together to worship the Lord, to be fed through his word by his spirit. So we, we focused last night, as Brother Gail said, on the, the miracle of the harvest, the miracle of God's increase, the miracle of the seed, and the joy, that picture we saw in Psalm 126, of that possibly poor farmer going out bearing precious seed. And we, we kind of painted the picture like this, that he, it may have been seed that represented food for his family, and he had a choice to make. And so he, he knows the great risk of putting seed in the ground. We all have enough of a farm background. We know that sometimes seed put in the ground does not produce a harvest. And so he goes out with weeping. And he places his seed in the ground and praying to the God of heaven that there would be a harvest. But the joy of it was that he comes later bearing his sheaves with him, rejoicing. And so we see the miracle of the harvest and the joy of the harvest. We're going to focus our lesson this morning in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. We're going to turn to the last chapter, the sixth chapter to begin with, and we will then go back uh, through several parts of the, the book of Galatians. So if you wish to follow along, chapter six, verse one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, as we, have, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. As we look at Paul's words here, he addresses the issue of the harvest. He says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We understand the principle here. Sometimes we call it the principle of duplication. In other words, whatever seed we plant, that's what we expect. We don't expect something else. We understand that. I believe this verse can be and is sometimes misused in the sense of some people talk about karma, that 
whatever you do is automatically going to come back to you. And, and if you do something bad, you're going to experience something bad. And so we see at once the truth here. What we sow, we will reap. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. And so that is a general principle of truth. But there's one thing, there's one dimension that's not mentioned in this short verse, and that's the grace of God, which is unmerited favor. And that changes the equation, doesn't it? There's a general principle, we'll reap what we sow, but it's not karma, because there's grace. This morning we want to look at the harvest of walking in the Spirit. He calls it here, sowing to the Spirit. The book of Galatians is actually a very intense book, a letter. Often when we study, especially in Sunday schools and things like that, we break things down verse by verse, week by week, chapter by chapter, and look at it somewhat from like the perspective of a microscope, you know, fine detail. But there's something about this book, I think you have to read it as a whole. You have to capture what, what has captivated Paul. I would say that Paul, in our own way of saying things, is pretty stirred up. He's upset. He begins with a short introduction in chapter 1, but it's, he just jumps right into it after that. Verse 6, he says, I marvel that ye are soon, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And so he lays the, the, the groundwork here of what is the problem. They have begun to follow another gospel, as he calls it. And so he, apparently there were some other issues. Some were doubting his credentials, we'll say. These were teachers that had come in and that had begun to undermine the work of Paul. And began, the, the basic issue in this book is the issue of circumcision, as we find in Acts 15. And they were teaching that it's okay to be a Christian. They, they weren't denying that. It's okay to follow Christ. But in essence, what they were saying, if you want to be complete, if you want to walk a fuller life, you need to keep the law. And we see that Paul reacts very strongly against this. So he begins to establish his credentials. I certify unto you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached unto me of me is not after man. And so he gives his testimony. He received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, I didn't really even hardly know the other apostles. He went to Jerusalem once. He says in verse 17, uh, he, he says, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned unto Damascus. 
Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. And you know, that kind of strikes us. We assume that all the apostles were, were good friends and they all knew each other. And here's Paul. He hardly even knows some of the apostles. But he said, I was called, and I received this gospel not by the teaching of the apostles. I did not receive it uh, but from any other man, but I received it from Jesus Christ himself. Afterwards, he went into the areas of Syria and Cilicia. He says, and was unknown by face under the churches of Judea. Paul was somewhat of an unknown to many of the people. We think of him as this well-known, widely traveled evangelist that everybody knew. And there's some places that there's truth in that. But in chapter 2 he says, And 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Jerusalem very often, did he? He did not communicate with the core of the apostles very often. But he knew their work. So he goes up to Jerusalem, and there's a little problem develops. The problem was Peter. So we have the groundwork laid. Peter had come there, but when other apostles came, uh, because of the issue of circumcision, he withdrew from the Greeks or the Gentiles. He separated because he feared those that were of the circumcision, those that were preaching that circumcision was necessary. It's, it scared him. And he pulled back. That's a very human response. What fear does for us. And it, it was not only Peter. It says, and, the other, and other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now think about Barnabas. He's the one who defended Paul befriend, and befriended Paul. He was a very close friend of Paul's. And now his best friend, one of his best friends, has been carried away in this, this whole thing of the circumcision. The ruckus that's around that. But Paul is so stirred in his spirit that he confronts Peter and the others that are preaching this gospel that's been corrupted, as he would call it. A gospel plus the law. And we won't have, we can't go through this uh, book uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse this morning, but I want to capture what the context of Galatians is written in. In chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? The language he uses is strong. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It's like you, they've come under a spell. And this gospel that he's preached, this gospel that he has received from Jesus Christ, and he is evidently, he is but with evidence set forth before them, they are now rejecting not rejecting Christ per se, but they are corrupting the message of the gospel. And now the rest of the chapter, he begins to lay out the basis for what he's saying. The rest of the, of the book. He talks about Abraham. He talks about how Abraham was what? Justified by faith, not by his works. 
and that he was justified before he was circumcised. He talks about the tutor and the child. How that a child, as he's raised up, is under a tutor. But, when he beca- but he, because he's a, the, the heir, uh, a parent, that there comes a time when the tutor is left behind. He's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. And he's comparing that to the, the law. As God gave the law, it was the tutor. It was the, 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 his children were under the tutor of the law until the time appointed of the father. And the time appointed of the father is when Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and, and ushered in a new covenant. The old covenant was Fulfilled and finished. In chapter 5 he says. Stand fast therefore in the liberty. Wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again. With the yoke of bondage. So as we. Look at these lessons. What does it say. To us today. I'm going to back up a little bit. In some of my notes here. The, the Jews, the, the Israelite people of, of Jesus' day were very connected to Abraham. They talked about Abraham being their father. And many of them would have had a genetic, uh, we'll say, linkage to Abraham. They certainly had a works connection to Abraham and on down through the giving of the law with Moses and so on. But they also had a faith connection. And as we look for parallels in our life, what, what would we see? This is a, maybe just a bit of a side note, but I think it's important. We have a faith heritage, just as the Jews did. For many of us, not, maybe not everybody in this room. I, I don't know everybody, but many of us have a faith heritage. And so we have a connection Maybe by genetics, if not by genetics, certainly by uh, works or life and worship styles. But what about the faith link? The Jews felt superior because of their genetic and works link to Abraham. So the challenge of the book of Galatians to me this morning is, is where, where is our link and what is our link? We look at the situation in Galatians, the Gentile Christians who were regarded as second-class Christians by some Jews had found comfort that they too could be the sons of Abraham by faith. And so we have the Gentiles that have never offered this hope, but now comes these teachers that comes in and says, but you need to keep the law. You need to keep the law. And Paul says if you have to keep the law in one point, you become a debtor to the whole law. And the whole issue of law and gospel, law and grace. Do you ever get confused? Do you ever wonder, how do we understand that? I've spent years trying to fully understand that, and I still don't fully understand it. One time I, I, got, I have a book on my, in my shelf in my library. I think it's called Five Viewpoints of Law and Gospel. And it, it, ta- it takes, interviews different uh, teachers from different Christian uh, streams of belief. How to view the law, how they view the law, and their stream of understanding. 
But I think there's some lessons we can learn in the book of Galatians as we think about these issues. I ask a question. What will happen when our faith shifts from faith in God to faith in our faithfulness? What happens when our faith, when our faith shifts from faith in God to faith in our faithfulness? There is nothing wrong with faithfulness. We are to be faithful. Do you sense that sometimes there can be a subtle shift there? The law, I like this thought, it's not original with me, but the law is not above a Christian. The law is under the Christian for him to walk on to be his guide and his rule and his pattern. And I like that picture. It helped me understand a little bit. It, the, the truth of the law, the truth of God's law is still true. Now we understand there were different dimensions of the law for the Jews to keep and so on, but, but the law, the law in general. Paul is calling them to walk in the liberty that they've received. What does that mean? And so one picture we can get is, is the law is always above us. You know, it's just kind of that shadow over our head. You know, we, we, it, it's there, and as soon as we break that law, there it is to, to get us. The other picture of the law is that it's under the Christian. It becomes the guide to our feet. It becomes the place where we understand who God is. Warren Wiersbe says legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping these standards and thinking we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging believers on the basis of those standards. And so we get into this predicament of when we, like the Galatians were struggling with, when, when law is elevated to a place different than what God intends it to be, we begin to use that as the judge of our spirituality and begin to judge others. One of the tragedies of legalism, that is, it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when in reality it leads the believer back into his second childhood. You remember where the law was? It was the tutor. How do we understand that without speaking ill of God's law? But there's something important in the book of Galatians that I think we need to grasp. Another comment that I came across, the zeal cultivated by legalism is often more a zeal for the group itself than for Jesus Christ. And that hits home hard for us, I think, sometimes. The zeal that we have is sometimes more for the group than it is for Jesus Christ. When he says stand fast in liberty, the word liberty creates fear. The fear of the law-focused person is that liberty leads to sin. We know that liberty, and Paul addresses this, he said not, did not use liberty for the flesh. 
So Paul recognizes that that's a reality. We can, we can have a sense of liberty that causes us to live after the flesh. It's an opportunity of the flesh. But we all know and I think understand that concept that a little liberty might, it gets to put a little fear in our lives. If we make this little adjustment in, in some outward thing, that's going to lead to, you know, the slippery slope. And we can have that discussion about slippery slope. I think there's sometimes truth to it. But I want to capture what Paul is saying here. He's teaching us a way of walking. And that is what I want to really focus on this morning. As he gets into chapter 5, he says in verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he begins to under, open up the, the uh, different types of the expressions of the flesh. Some have identified them or classified them as sensual, religious, interpersonal, and social. As he looks at the first ones here, as we will read a little bit from chapter 5. Verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. We understand the warfare within us. It's a very personal thing. The spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh. He names the things of the flesh. He said, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's a very powerful statement. If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. He didn't say the law was bad. He didn't say the law uh, was not from God. But he said, you're not under the law. But if he led, uh, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Sins of, the, of sensuality. 20. Idolatry and witchcrafts. Sins of, related to our religious uh, uh, orientation, maybe. Idolatry and witchcraft. Then he goes into hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Interpersonal relationships. All touched by the flesh. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings and such like, social interactions and social settings. And he says, and such like. In other words, the list is not complete. Of the which I tell you before and have told you in the time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Walking in the Spirit or walking by the Spirit, how... How do we quantify that? How do we even get our arms around that? What does that mean? We have a knowledge of the word of God. Uh, we would, as we read this list here, we clearly understand that these are things that should not be a part of the Christian's life, but sometimes we slip into them, especially some of them. Strife, seditions, and so on, wrath. And I, as I was working through the book of Galatians, that, that was one of the things that, that really has really come out to me is how do you walk by the Spirit? How do you walk in the Spirit? And so I asked myself, 
Am I more spirit conscious or law conscious? One writer used the, the illustration of the difference between the ordinance uh, at the city hall or the ordinance on the state books and the policeman on the corner. There's a law written in the books somewhere that governs a lot of our lives. Whether it's building codes or whether it's traffic uh, violations or whatever it is, those laws are written down somewhere. But if there's no policeman, what happens? We don't pay much attention to it sometimes. That's our natural tendency, what, is we kind of forget about that. But when I'm driving down the road and not paying attention, all of a sudden I see a patrolman's there clocking traffic, what happens? I immediately look at my speedometer. I think we all do that. You know, okay, am I gonna get caught? Was I speeding? I wasn't paying any attention. That's a very rough approximation, but what about the spirit versus the law? And I've wondered this, and I'm going to leave this proposal with you. And I wrote down, am I walking by the spirit? 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 And I think we have to change our mindset. Because when we're walking by law, it's a different mindset then am I walking by the Spirit? It doesn't mean the law is still not in the background there somewhere. It's the guide now to our feet. It's not, it's not the condemnation over our head because what? We're to stand fast in the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And so every day, every step, every word, every choice, I need to retrain my life and say, what is the Spirit saying to me? What is the Spirit of God saying to me? What is the Spirit saying to me? Am I walking by the Spirit? Or am I judging, well, I know there's a law down there written in the courthouse, but I think I can get by today. Nobody will see me. Or, you know, I'm in a different situation. We begin to change the way we think. But when we take God's Word... And the truth of God's word and ask him to apply it to our hearts by the spirit. It's a whole different way of thinking. Our mindset has to change. Our, the way we approach life has to change. It doesn't matter whether we use the terms conservative or liberal or whatever. We can both walk by the law. We can both do that. And sometimes, I had it written down somewhere, I, I don't remember in my notes, uh, it talks about that sometimes we, we think that because we're not walking by the law, we're still walking by the law. And so he goes on to the fruit of the Spirit, and that's part of the harvest. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk by the, in the Spirit. So he's saying if we've been made alive in the Spirit, if we live, if we're alive by, by the Spirit, which we are, we're not, we're not made alive by the law. There's no law live, given that can give man life. He said, then let us walk in the Spirit. There is a sense that we must choose to walk in the Spirit. 
It is a conscious effort to daily hear God's Spirit speaking to us. When we uh, can get into a situation that's emotional and, and the words are about ready to come out of our mouth, we say, God, what is your Spirit saying to me? What should I say here? When we as a family have some choices to make about how to spend our money, we say, God, what are you speaking to me here? And I'm not thinking in the sense that, that there's always this little voice that comes in our head and it says this is what you should do, that we kind of become this uh, little puppet that's, that's guided by the Spirit and, and we don't have to think. It's not that at all. It's when we take the knowledge of the Word of God and we put it in our heart and we allow the Spirit of God to make that alive in our heart is different than law Christianity. It's a totally different outcome. It yields the fruit of the Spirit. That is the harvest of walking in the Spirit. I was thinking about a, I don't know why this came into my mind, and so I looked it up. I remember when I was just out of high school, I worked at a grocery store, and, and they played a radio station there, and, and I heard a lot of, like Frank Sinatra, you know, I know that name might not even mean anything to the younger generation, but he was big back then and the, uh, in the 50s and 60s and maybe even the 40s, I don't know. But he, wrote, he sang a song, I Did It My Way. And I want you to hear the, I'll read the lyrics. And now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. Regrets? I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much, much more, I did it. I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he is, has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. That's not walking in the Spirit. But you know, we have a tendency to drift that way, to do it my way. I was handed a piece of paper last weekend says reconciler of the lost or evaluator of the saved quotes Matthew 4 19 and he saith unto them follow me and I will make you fishers of men if you don't become a reconciler of the lost you will become an evaluator of the saved there is something inherent in our new nature that wants to see people get right with God and if we don't direct it at the lost we will direct it at the saved then instead of pursuing sinners we'll spend our time policing the saints now, that can be taken out of context, and we certainly have responsibility to care for each other spiritually. But it goes on to talk about that when our energy 
is, used, is not used on the outside, we use it on the inside and it becomes explosive. I think we can understand what that little piece is trying to say. Walking by the Spirit. And so Paul says it clearly, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the, fle of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. Carl Bowman from Broadwater College wrote a book called Brother in Society. Maybe some of you have that on your library shelves. Looking at the brethren as they changed over the decades. So this maybe is close home to a lot of us. And I find it very interesting. I, uh, a lot of you don't know me, but I got interested in church history very early. Even when I was a teenager, I started collecting books on brethren history and other church history. and. Uh, so I have a, a, a strong interest in that. And in his book, he talks about Dunker Dilemmas. Four Dunker Dilemmas. So I'm gonna share that with you because I think it's, 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 a, it's a timeless struggle for Christians because we are part of a group. We're part of a history. We're part of, of something that has been born out of true faith because of the dilemma of faithfulness, one of them. What is the time dividing line between timeless truth and cultural traditions? How should innovation and progress be reconciled with the restoration of primitive Christianity? The dilemma of unity, how much unity of faith and practice is actually required of the brethren? In which areas must it be preserved? In which in, can individual variation be tolerated? The dilemma of separation. How shall brethren remain distinct from, from other Christians in the secular world? What are the dividing lines between true and nominal Christianity? The last one is the, is the dilemma of authority. What, what means should be employed to maintain unity and separation? Can brethren be compelled and obligated to adopt certain practices? Now, I don't want that to be the main part of the sermon, but these are the struggles that are real to a lot of us. How do we understand these things? And I want to, I want to direct us back to the concept. I believe Galatians is sometimes a book we haven't really spent a lot of time in. Paul is, I would say Paul is angry. Because I, he says, I came in here and I suffered. You go back in Acts and the people that he's talking about in Galatians, he suffered at the hands of those Jews that, that, that were against him. And he said, you, you received these things by the Spirit and you received the miracles of God. He said, now you're going to go back to the law? I mean, he's incredulous. You're going to go back to this? He says, stand fast in the liberty. Stand fast in the liberty. But he says, walk in the spirit. And folks, if we leave out that concept of truth of walking in the spirit, 
we have to fall back to what? To law. If we're unable to walk in the spirit, if we're unwilling to walk in the spirit, what's the second best? We walk by law. And so the Judaizer teachers were saying, it's good to walk in the spirit, but you're really not a complete Christian until you are circumcised. You really haven't experienced God until you're keeping the holy days, whatever it is. They were unwilling and they were afraid to walk in the spirit. And, and Paul calls it a liberty. He says, stand fast in that liberty. But he says, don't use your liberty for the flesh. He recognizes that that can happen. That the liberty that they think they have, they use it for the flesh, but the antidote for that is walk in the spirit. We must train our minds. We must train our, our, our whole beings to daily hear the spirit of God that is speaking out of the word of God. Not some extracurricular revelation that, that doesn't come from the word, but, but it comes from the word of God itself, the spirit making that alive in our hearts. And he says, if we walk in the spirit, then these are the fruits that we're going to manifest. It's not going to be the works of the flesh, but it's going to be the fruit of the spirit. And that is the harvest that we're looking for. We're thinking about harvest message, the harvest of the fruit of the spirit. When we walk by the fruit of the Spirit, life is real, struggles are real, differences are real, our flesh is real, the temptations are real. And what is the antidote? What is the cure? It's to walk by the Spirit. It's not more law. It's not more law down in City Hall. We see what happens in the, in the world without Christ. They pass many laws, but soon as you remove the policeman from the scene, what happens? There's chaos. Because people aren't walking from their heart. They're walking out of the fear of the policeman. We're not to walk in fear of the policeman. We're to walk by the Spirit. And that calls for diligent effort, diligent intent on each of our hearts and each of our hearts. I cannot walk in the Spirit for you and you cannot walk in the Spirit for me. But we are a body. And to undermine the concept of the body is not New Testament. We are a body for a reason. We're here to help each other walk in the Spirit. But it still is an individual walk. I want to leave one parting thought this morning. Because... As that one little reading said, sometimes when we are not... Focusing in the right place, we begin to spend our energy against each other. And Paul talks about that. I forgot which verse it was, but he talks about, uh, I believe it's back in, yeah, verse 15. Fulfill, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so he's boiling it all down and funneling it all down into loving God and loving our neighbor in this situation. He says, but... If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And when we begin to walk by the flesh, we begin to consume one another. Instead of build each other up. But I don't want to leave a picture, and some of you are familiar with this. I've used it before, but a little different angle I'm looking at. Back in, in South Africa, after apartheid, and they were having the, 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 the truth reconciliation councils of uh, they were bringing the policemen into court that had, had killed blacks in the ghettos. 
and, and asking uh, the victims what they wanted and so on. And there's one very touching story of an elderly woman that had been brought into the courtroom. Uh, she had lost her son first uh, and then her husband. They had killed her son and it had taken him and, and burned him in fire out in, my, in front of his house. I put him like on a spit, we would say, you know, and kept rotating to burn him all up so there would be no evidence. They came back sometime later and killed her husband and burned his body also. And so this old elderly woman is now in the courtroom facing the policeman that had done this uh, terrible tragedy, this tr terrible deed against her. And one of the, 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 she was asked what she wanted. And she, she wanted him to, she wanted the policeman to go with her and gather up the dust so that she could give her husband a decent burial. Then she added a further request. This policeman took all my family away from me, but I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrock to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. And so when Paul says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I just want that word, that phrase that from this lady to ring in our hearts. I still have a lot of love to give. Some of you have been through some trauma. We've been deeply immersed in our brotherhood and looking at the whole issue of sexual abuse and other abuse. And as this is opening up, there's, there's many stories starting to rise to the surface of people who've been abused as children, who've been abused as spouses who have been abused. And it's a sad story, but this is among God's people. These are among people like us. And we've sometimes come through a lot of trauma, a lot of pain. But can we say in the end, I still have a lot of love to give? That trauma and the pain may be not abuse. It might be come from other conflicts and other broken relationships. But can we see Jesus Christ as he looked upon those who hung him on the cross, those who crucified him, and he said, Father, forgive them. Why did he say that? It was because he loved them. It was, it was a request that God would be merciful to them. I still have a lot of love to give. There are things maybe in your life that have made you angry. It, it's not just physical abuse and sexual abuse. Sometimes it's spiritual abuse. There are people today where I'm hearing reports of uh, those who grew up in, among our people and say, are saying, I'm not a Christian today because I was abused in some way. They don't even believe in God. And that's a terrible thing to have over our head. But I believe this morning, as we think of the harvest, if we cannot find, through the love of Jesus Christ, to find within our heart the ability to forgive the past, we'll be in bondage to the future. I still have a lot of love to give. 
That's a, a goal for each of our hearts. Whatever we've come through, whatever our journey's been, whatever your journey's been, the harvest. And so we know that God uses the harvest in many ways as a picture of we'll reap what was so, but also through Jesus Christ, there's another harvest. It sounds more like this. Come on home, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. You loved to the end. You loved God's people. And you loved your enemies. And you loved God. And you still had love to give. What shall we sing?